0: Are... are you tired? Yes. (coughs) Is there enough light then? No. When... when you're tired it's important to do something about it. Okay, it's really, really important. Um, it's, it's not something to just kind of put up with. Um, so there's a whole there's a whole interesting thing about why why we feel energized sometimes, why we feel tired. <coughs> has to do with the emotions. Has to do with inspiration. Has to do with eros. Has to do with closing down, opening up, all, all that stuff. So it's actually it's actually a really interesting in investigation um, but uh, it's it's good to it's good to know how to how to galvanize the system how to catalyze things how to how to inject energy how to find energy sometimes uh, it's it can change like that and if you don't know this, to something w- we need to discover. Why, do, why, why does it suddenly change? has oftentimes much more to do with the heart than we realize, or the mind, uh, the mind in terms of certain ideas or, or reactivities, etc. Um, <coughs> that's a whole other subject. So, Is there, is there enough light now? <laughs> yeah. Um, having said all that, I'm extremely tired. <laughs> And I really didn't know whether I could, I still don't know whether I can do this um, right now. So (coughs) we'll see how it goes. Um, I apologize if I'm not firing on all cylinders and not so coherent or or whatever. Um, uh, We'll see. (coughs) Um, Okay. So we, we invited some questions on Dukkha and soul making. And then it occurred to me that perhaps wasn't the wisest thing to do Um, because from, from at least the way I feel about it currently is that it's that particular nexus, that particular interaction of dukkha and soul making is extremely complex, as if the whole thing wasn't complex already this dukkha and soul-making is really complex. And, and as Catherine, Catherine said, there's, there's already quite a bit out on the web. I think I gave a talk at some point. I think it was 13 or 14 hours long um, on the subject of dukkha and soul-making. So there's a lot, uh, and we could say more, um, but it's complex. And I think more importantly, I if I just speak for myself, if I'm working in an interview with someone and, and there's dukkha there, uh, and we're, we're addressing that, I don't feel like I have any kind of formula or preconception of how, how to approach it or what's going to happen or how it's going to unpack or unfold. Or, um. So to me, a lot of the, these kind of practices, but particularly when it comes to working with, with the dukkha, um, it's very improvised and kind of opportunistic. So I don't know, Some either with myself or, or some, someone else um, working with them. And it takes a while, I feel, in an interview, um, if, I'm, if I'm in the teacher role in an interview, to, to let what needs to be heard be heard, to let what needs to be felt be felt, to see what the different aspects of body, mind, heart, situation, history, propensity, capability um are are present and then what what windows what doors are are open so to me it's all it's all quite opportunistic um and, and it takes time it ta- it take uh, usually those kinds of interviews where we're working with dukkha in in a way that's related to the imaginal is is they're not quick interviews they're they you know an hour or or, or something like that to to feel so, that some of the questions it feels like I don't have nearly enough information on what's going on for a person or what's there or what's possible or the history. Um, so, that makes it, <coughs> um, and it makes doing this kind of thing right now a little bit difficult. Um, <coughs> it's also the case for me, I think, as a teacher, if I'm working with someone and there's dukkha there, I don't automatically assume this needs to become soulmaking. It's one option that may or may not present itself as, as a window of opportunity at some point. But it might be uh, that, that actually what needs to happen is there, ne- there needs to be some other approach that just eases the dukkha in, in some way or, or other, you know. Um, so it's not always where there's dukkha, where, you know, okay, let's make this soul-making. Um, <coughs> there, there may be, There may well be other needs a little while ago I was talking with someone and there was a really, really a lot of dukkha uh, for them and asking them a little bit about what was happening and uh, there was clearly, or they expressed that, that there was uh, some rage, some anger at a certain situation they were not allowing themselves to feel that anger. And what happened instead as, as is so often, not always, but so often the case when, (coughs) um, anger is not allowed to be felt, it turns, it can turn inward against the self and it turns into a a very nasty kind of depression, very self-destructive, very hateful, sometimes suicidal. Um, what's the need there? not immediately to jump in and make this soul-making, maybe, mayb- maybe not, but there's, let's talk about roots or foundations or bases or steps, there may be a gap, and I think I touched on this a little bit when we were talking about energy body, there may be a gap for some of us in relation to some emotions that we actually don't let ourselves feel. We do not have the permission to feel that emotion, whatever, in this case it was anger, in someone else's case, it might it might be whatever. And sometimes it's even a positive, sometimes even joy. It's not okay. It's not okay in our society somehow to actually feel deep joy. It's not okay to share it, whatever. But the important point is that there's an intermediate piece there. And this often goes unrecognized. And of course, in certain contexts, for instance, a Dharma context, where anger is basically it goes in the box of, it's a kilesa, it's an affliction, it's a defilement. And so, sometimes people talk about the the Buddhist shadow, or or whatever, is a a person who actually doesn't really feel much anger. And it might look, and it might look to their teachers, oh this is a good practitioner, maybe they should be a teacher one day, look how equanimous they are, and how even, etc seem to have a good understanding, they're kind, they're mindful, it's, it seems that way, something is not allowed and the person doesn't even recognize that they're not giving themselves permission for X or Y emotion. So when we talk again about uh, these words roots or foundations, um, sometimes sort of, uh, well I don't know what to call basic kind of emotional work, there, there are gaps there, basic psychological gaps <coughs> uh, that that need kind of uh, to be rehabilitated, re- drawn back in t- into into the in, into the, 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 the fold and the, uh, the field of psyche drawn back into the hearth of psyche and allowed and, and given a minimum degree of respect. If I feel angry, it's partly why I said that thing about ranting uh, in the in the popcorn thing today. You know, something that looks like a defilement can actually be a signal of soul. It's it's the flame of soul, and it's and it's coming up in a way that most people would be like, "Whoa, that's kind of not okay." But I've come to recognise that if I can be a bit patient <coughs> with this ranting mind, so for instance, in terms of ecological crisis or other try not to go into that now, um, <laughs> um, that there's actually a lot of soul there and there's a lot of things I feel like something comes through me. Of course that could be a grand delusion and there's always that danger, but <coughs> um, the point is that there's e- even just for psychological health, before we even talk about soul making and its possibilities, um, we, we, there may be gaps that need that need addressing. There may be basic building blocks that need filling in and given given some solidity. Uh, so it might be I need to um, give myself permission. I need to allow myself to acknowledge, to feel, to um, maybe at some stage express in some way or another, and that's a whole journey if we're talking about anger. Um something that uh something's dead in 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 the being and it needs to be able to come alive, yeah assuming this all makes sense um when we did on the last retreat, some of you were here, and we did some of that uh movement stuff, and there was some um I can't even remember some sort of ogreish kind of uh things um <coughs> It wasn't so much, and I explained, it wasn't so much, oh, now we're uh, trying to uh, cathart, if that's a verb, uh, we're trying to release something. We're we're interested in opening up the pathways um, neurologically, physically, energetically, emotionally, psychically, mentally, cognitively, that are closed so that they can become roots. You think of a root of a tree as a living thing. Things flow through that root, uh, those roots. And if they're blocked or if they're cut off or if they're starved or withered, it, you can't even have a healthy tree, let alone uh, the, 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 the blossoms of, of soul. Yeah. So it may be in some cases that certain basics, certain foundations uh, need to happen first. (coughs) What was interesting with this person was then talking actually over a couple of days, um, and so that was my my immediate sense, oh this needs to happen first, it doesn't need to become imaginal yet, and then came back and reported already some images. and (coughs) So the images were coming alive and the images had to do with power and rage. And they liberated something. So, you know, it's tempting to think uh, first this, then that, then that. Now you're ready for the image or the soul making. And, and oftentimes that will be the case. That will be so. Uh, Catherine, I've talked a lot about this kind of thing. But I've been too struck by the kind of non linearity of things sometimes. So what does that imply? I don't know. To be open-minded. And, and again, opportunistic, improvised. Here's this knotted ball of string. What if I just pull on this one? No, wrong one. Okay, well, ah, that's a bit better. That starts loosening something. I don't know which one to pull on first, necessarily. But if we talk about basics, some of those basics, some of those foundations may, t- as, as, uh, I think we said in the opening, um, may take quite a while. You know it's a person if i think about my um my history working with anger i i was you know really some years uh, in psychotherapy back in the uh, late 80s and early 90s really working with that and learning how to express it and getting it completely wrong and overdoing it or underdoing it or not being aware so just that journey around anger and recognizing that I actually felt angry in some situations, learning how to tolerate it, learning how to understand it, learning what my needs were, learning how to express it. It takes a while, you know, just that. And we haven't even talked about soul-making possibilities there. So this is why long, long-term trajectory um, for, 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 for all of us, really. Um, <coughs> and in that, there's you know, open-mindedness and humility, and it may not always be linear. Um so on on the theme of nonlinearity, um some of you will know the teachings about the twenty eight elements uh, or nodes of the lattice and all that business, and some of you may not. Um, so we may get to it this week, um, but very briefly, um, there's there's a way of kind of Pointing to what's characteristic of what we're calling imaginal or soul making or sensing the soul, but there's no order there. So, it could be, uh, if you go back to the ball of the knotted ball of wool analogy, that each each one of those is an is an end of a of a of a, of, a, of a thread of wool, and. Um, I may jiggle or pull or wiggle anyone, and it starts uh, unraveling the whole thing, or if we use a different analogy, I, I ignite one and and the rest ignite so what that again what that means in terms of working with dukkha is is there's this openness to what of which of those elements might be uh, might be available and might be ones that actually can um, implement some leverage and start to move things and start to ignite and open things. And I do not know beforehand. I have no idea. i dealing with my own pain and, and, and situations and, and whatnot or, or with someone else. So is that good news or bad news? <laughs> I, I, I agree. First of all, I mean, while a part of us might like f- simple formulas, then w- then we know, you know, um, I think this wor- this these kind of practices, are too rich to be just formulaic, and it's a bit like this thing that I said about, you know, about you as a practitioner and your ideas. You can you can become um, a, a playful improviser, someone who has that confidence, someone who's just um, what I, d- you know, able to do that without a formula. In in time, it will come. Um, so I don't always know in advance, but I do have the trust. At this point, I have total trust that it might not be this person right now that this can be made soul-making. But I pretty much believe at this point and, and sense that anything can be made into soul. Can be Soul can be made in relationship to anything. And that transforms and transfigures it. Um, but that, in a, in a way, there's, a, you know, thinking about those different elements and just kind of being with something and seeing which might suggest themselves or be possible. And it might just be the energy body, just opening the energy when coming into a relationship with, with Dukkha or whatever it is already makes a difference, something as simple as that. But it, but it could be something, one of the ones that we don't usually think about or, or, or something else. All kinds of things. Um, (coughs) That word opportunistic, I think I I said it once in a talk years ago, you know, it's related, the the root is porta, porta, which is a door in Latin. So to be opportunistic uh, means to, uh, you know, uh, be, be on the lookout for what doors uh, certainly what doors are not locked and one might just slip through. Um or what doors are open and, and just obviously beckoning us. Yeah. <coughs> when when some more of these elements uh Which, by the way, I I always forget what they are. So, um, you know, people say, I'm not very good at number 18. I think number 18, what (laughs) was that? Anyway. um (laughs) Um, When some of them start to ignite, it's as if they start to create... um They already start to... complexify what's happening in a good way. They give anchor points or vantage points or, um, you know, what's it called when when you rock climb and you put one of those things in? Cramps? Crap on? Are you sure? Is that really the right... (laughs) 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 What? (laughs) right. Yeah, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know when, um, what's her name, Tomb Raider, uh, Angelina Jolie, what's her name? <laughs> I'm too tired. Um <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean. These things give give um, footholds and vantage points. Um, another way of looking at it is they start kind of throwing something out and, and connecting things. And in that connection, it's as if a wire goes... Here and there, and then another wire goes between here and there, and another wire goes, w- and soon you've got a kind, you've got a kind of net, and you've got a kind of structure. and That structure can make a crucible. Everyone know what a crucible is? It's a, it's a, it's a vessel. I think from al- alchemy, um, where you put whatever whatever material you were working with, and get it gets heated in this crucible. And when we come to talking about dukkha and soul making at this point, Catherine lights the <laughs> Um uh, in a way what we want is this this here to be a crucible, but we could also say that we want our um, emotions or our dukkha to be in a crucible. They, they need to be uh, we need to have a certain a certain kind of stance, a certain kind of uh, relationship with with them. Um, and all these other elements start forming a kind of s- structure that holds something in a way that the flame can come alive. I didn't explain that very well. Does, does that sound incredibly abstract? or No? Okay, good. So in relation to emotions, part of what we want is that um, there's a crucible of emotions. And in that crucible, with the fire, and sometimes the heat and the painful fire of the emotions, Image is born, or soul making is born. Um, if we're if we're relating to our emotion in a way that's not crucibilic, um, <laughs> then uh, it doesn't happen. Okay, it, we might either spin into you know some kind of meltdown of, of dukkha. Uh, some kind of craziness, etc. Or we might relieve the dukkha through the many uh, traditional dharma pathways that are available and there's a dissipation of dukkha and there's the letting go. But without the crucible, there won't be the soul-making. So the golden question is, what makes the crucible? And as usual, it's not... So simple and not so easy to articulate, and I still don't feel like I could just go boom, 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 boom. Um, but uh, but partly these different elements of the imaginal. So, for example, humility, or for example, as Catherine mentioned this morning, you know, the idea. So often, when there's dukkha in the back of my mind or in the forefront of my mind, this dukkha is caused by this it's because of this in my past or my parents or that person or me being a loser or whatever it is got a cause and explicitly or implicitly the mind is reducing it to one cause even if I say it's craving because the Buddha said it was craving right Uh, I've reduced it to one cause and that element of the imaginal that node is dead it's not alive it's uh, a damp a damp wicked wick um, and it the the clo the closing of that idea the closing down of that idea will close down the possibility of soul making so Catherine already said this this morning um, so let's let's linger on this a little bit. Um, uh, i have uh, probably most teachers have but i've dwelt quite a lot over the years on working with emotions in different ways um a lot way before the soul making teachings and uh, just what can we it's so easy to be imprecise when it comes to emotions So, so we just hear a sort of vague feeling oh kind of be with it and you know try and try and be with your body and just be open to it and watch it come and go or something like that and try not to identify. Um, oftentimes what happens is a person then takes that sort of vague instruction back to the cushion and it just kind of stews for a while until something else comes along that sort of gets their attention. Um, and it, it, it doesn't necessarily really become fertile. Yeah. Um, so even within traditional dharma. I feel um, that there's, there's a real place for a sort of real uh, precision of what I'm actually doing in relation to an emotion at any time. Whether it's a beautiful emotion, a joy, love, or a difficult emotion, despair, hatred, wh- whatever it is, powerlessness. Um, it, it, if I can be really specific, in, in, and try different things, that tends to open a lot more doors. So one of the things, and again, Catherine mentioned it this morning, is that when there's an afflictive emotion, there's often a lot of energy wrapped up in an afflictive emotion. Even if it's depression. Depression has an enormous amount of energy, but it's in lockdown, certain kinds of depression. Does that, mean? Anger, certainly. E- Rage. grief, or, or, or there's a lot of energy. And what tends to happen is then we hear, oh, kind of be with it or just just open to it and just soften or, or whatever. And the, the, the mindfulness that goes, goes with that actually doesn't have a lot of energy in it. It's A, not very specific, and it's, it's B, it's the, the energy in the emotion is more than the energy in the mindfulness. You understand? If I can find a way, and it's interesting, we started with this energy thing, doing that. Really bringing an intensity of uh, mindfulness, an energized mindfulness to bear with this emotion. Then I've, something's shifted. And, and the, um, uh, the energy doesn't overpower the mindfulness. And then things can start to, to move. So in in typical dharma or rather in in mainstream dharma practice that would be one one of my suggestions you know a very sort of straight normal straight among among many others in a way we want the mindfulness the awareness to be bigger not just spatially that's an option but also in terms of energy levels if that makes sense bigger than the emotion also in mainstream dharma uh, what we What we tend towards is let go of the story, and with that, let go of the self, because self and story often go together. So you want a kind of a brightness of of, uh, mindfulness and and a a kind of diving under or letting go of the self and the story. Does sound familiar? Yeah? Really, really skillful, really helpful. So good to have that in your toolkit. As, as just something one can go into at any time, yeah, and with the, because uh, dukkha is dependent on self-sense and identification, and uh, in a way it's also dependent on an absence of mindfulness, or, or an absence of energy and mindfulness, when we bring the energy of the mindfulness up, and when we kind of let go of some self-story and sense, well, the dukkha goes down, right? It's all Swings and levers, dependent rising. Do I need to say that again? Sally, does it make sense? Yeah, sure. Um, When it comes to soul making, it's a little bit different. For I gave the example uh, yesterday of uh, when Catherine suggested touching the body, and and said, "Look," and, and I explained what was going on. Look. There's self here. Look, there's narrative here. So I'm not going for no self, no story. There's a certain um, a- allowing of some of that to some degree uh, because that might come into the constellation of uh, what then can can make soul. When, when there's an image and when there's soul-making, it tends to... Uh, Involve self sense and uh, some kind of narrative, and uh, it's more complicated and more diffuse in its kind of uh, in the elements of its constellation. Okay. So already th- there's a, there's a difference there, um, and some of us are thoroughly trained in in dharma in dharma practice, let, letting go of the self. Um, just bringing the simple, simple bare attention, mindfulness, kind of being with an emotion, almost as bare sensation. We've kind of dived underneath the emotion and missed it. It's, it's actually happening at this level. And we've gone down here where it's kind of, well, it's just sensation. It's great. Maybe it just disappears, uh, helpful at times. But so again, there's this kind of modulation of the attention. To and, and opportunistically, what actually feels soulful and soul-making here? Yeah? But it may well involve, and uh, again, I've explained this before, when there's an image, when, and then the image m- or the, the, the uh, thing that is to become image, or in process of becoming image, um, might be my dukkha, might be my body, it might be something else, it might be something in the world, there's an object there. And the image is object. But as, as things become imaginal, the self, in relationship to that thing, starts to become image as well. And the world also. And my desire to. And in fact, all the elements. So all these things start to become ensouled. Now, what that means practically is I don't always have to be uh, fixated on the object at the expense of self and story and world sense and any any of these uh can be picked up first opportunistically. Is this is this is it sounding completely abstract? No, it's okay. Alright. Um Whatever object that we're working with, um, so it could be a dukkha, or it could already be an image. Um, so, in the, in the process of something becoming imaginal, let's say, let's say um, anything. This candle it becomes imaginal for me. Well, if I if I stay with that with that and meditate with it a, as image and allow it to do its thing and allow the soul making dynamic, at some point, um, what will happen is. The self that is looking at that candle becomes imaginal as well. Do you understand? Um, and then not only that, then it starts to spread. And the blue velvet and the room and the light and the, and, the, and the whole world becomes. And then and then, elements of my being start to become imaginal. I recognize Eros, and it's not just my Eros. It's, oh, that Eros starts becoming imaginal. In, in other words, it has dimensions and... Um, divinity, etc. So that process of kind of spreading out and in, in, in making a more complex constellation is part, is part of what happens with soul making. part of what happens when something becomes imaginal in, in time. But what it means practically is that I don't always need to just focus on the object. I might start to include more more of the self and, and see or is that c- can that become more imaginal yeah, for instance. Yeah? Um, so sometimes, for example, we talked about um, the mindfulness in, in a sort of traditional Dharma, the, the mindfulness instruction, one of the instructions might be for the mindfulness to be, um, if you like, bigger in some way than the emotion. But sometimes, of course, we don't feel that at all. We feel that this emotion is, is bigger than me. Now, there's a way that can just be overwhelming and depressing. This emotion, the mindfulness can't get around it, it's bigger than me. It's, I'm sinking with the emotion. But there's a way too, uh, in which the emotion can be bigger than me in a beautiful way, in a soul making way. That I, there's a humility that arises and that's a loaded word for a lot of people. What does that mean? What's a what's a fertile soul-making humility? It's one of the elements. This grief, this pain, whose is it? And again, typical dharma is it's nobody's, it's anatta. Soul-making dharma might be it belongs to soul. Belongs to the world soul. It's it's from the divine. This pain that I'm feeling is this, sen- this sensitivity that I have to the pain is 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 this is the divine sensitivity operating through me. So already there's you can see well that's an idea. Now it doesn't have to be a big like my mind is churning with all this intellectuality. It's just like a little grain of sand there. Of a poetic idea, and I just just sprinkled there, and it does something. It's part of the alchemical process. So in that case, the emotion is bigger than me. It's bigger than the self. Uh, I'm not even hoping to get bigger than it or handle it. But something has changed in my in my whole view of it and my whole relationship with it. Do you understand? So these little sprinkles of of uh, kind of uh, alchemical uh, tinctures or materials can make so much difference. Um, Sometimes uh, one may be sitting, there is some dukkha or something and There's just, there may be accessible uh, just a fullness of intention, which means, sure, I wanna, I don't like this dukkha and I want to get rid of it. But as Catherine was, al- was saying this morning, um, I, I want the fullness of, of soul here. I want what's right for soul. I want this to become soul-making in the service of soul-making, even if that has some cost to it, even if that has some bite to it, even if not all the dukkha goes. That's one of the elements as well, this fullness of intention. And maybe with that, there's a kind of humility. And I might not even know in relation to what I feel this humility. It may be just some vague sense of divinity that if someone asked me, well, where exactly is it? Or what is it? Or certainly, what's your theology? I, I wouldn't be able to answer. But maybe that's enough. That stance of just the fullness of intention, and And a humility that I don't even understand and that isn't even that precise and 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 it fertilizes things it softens and opens and fertilizes things how how are we doing is it is this, is this a is it making sense and b are you still awake <laughs> um yeah. Yeah. Um, no, a lot of these words um, are a sometimes used sloppily uh, by by me and, and maybe not Catherine but certainly by me. But <laughs> <laughs> certainly by me. But um, but sometimes deliberately ambiguously and sometimes to mean one or the other. So in that case, I meant both. Yes. Um, so in other words, soul. The concept of soul like everything else, will itself uh, become ensouled. All of these concepts, eros, soul, image, you, you name it. So we we start with some idea, or we'll maybe like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but it feels good sometimes, so I'm kind of hanging out. Um, at, you know, and then maybe, maybe, let's say for someone, it starts with this idea, well, it's my soul, and then you have soul, and da da, da. In time, because of the soul making dynamic and the neuropsychologus, it starts to get fertilized it starts to get worked and have more more windows more shadows, more shadings more complexity more f- more dimensions lost it there yeah um more dimensions um et cetera, so that I think for me sometimes that word can mean both those things and and more you know um uh in a way that's again loose and elastic and open-ended and unfathomable, the danger of that is it just gets too too sloppy and kind of meaningless in the end. And uh, so we're always treading this this line again. Where where do we stand? Where do we position ourselves at any time between precision and sort of openness? Well, it depends what we want. If we want soul making, then then we have to feel in the moment. Well, where where is it the precision right now? Or is it the more op- open-ended? Yeah. Um, so in this kind of practice, o- always the gauge is is well, w- what what serves soul? What, what and and how do I know? Well, it gives me that, those feelings, you know, the, that sense of soulfulness. Yeah, and that's my navigation. It's okay. Um, so sometimes working with dukkha, you know. Uh, uh a certain amount of letting go in relation to the dukkha, a certain amount needs to happen before it can be made soul. And sometimes it's only through being made soul that certain dukkha is is able to be freed up. Um, sometimes, um, recently, especially with some of these medications I'm taking uh, and getting very, yes, confused and under-resourced, and etc. Um, sometimes just having the thought, y- uh, uh, as well, I should say, uh, having so many conversations and researches about different possible alternative medical things that might help, etc. Of course, w- once you're having doing that research, it's goal-oriented, which is not to die, um, and, uh, and 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 so it's it's you're on a certain you're in a certain relationship and a certain track with, with the whole situation and with the information. You understand and and that track has the well no it's not okay if i die because we're trying to do something else which is somehow miraculously survive um sometimes just just reminding myself it's okay if i die it's really okay you know just that much kind of letting go if i've been sort of too much in this in this sort of should it be this dose or that dose or w- you know whatever it is um Sometimes that okayness is just enough letting go that then the whole situation can c- become become soul making again. You, n- you understand? Um, and it's not then that I go, oh, it doesn't matter or, or whatever. Uh, but it's just a certain amount of letting go uh, can can liberate things, loosen things enough that then they can be soul making. And there are and some of you in this room already know nothing else has helped with certain dukkhas and intractable and long-standing dukkhas and deep pains than, than when, when they become imaginal and when, when, when they're uh, infused with soul. Nothing, nothing else, not any, any of the other practices, etc., and no amount of years of psychotherapy, etc. Um, so again, there's this opportunism and, and flexibility that's needed. A little less fabrication is uh, one of the elements as well. So when I say, it's okay if I die, there's a loosening of uh, whatever clinging had built up there, and and that, that loosening is a little less fabrication, and then some soul can be made out of the situation. Um, okay, so some of the questions, as I said at the beginning, there are... I would need way more information. I would need to be with the person for a while and and kind of get a sense of what might be possible or what's what else is in in, in the field. But I'll see if I can say something. Having said all that spiel for an introduction, um, I this isn't going to be a 13-hour, uh, by the way. <laughs> um, but I'll I see if I can say say something a little bit uh, helpful. So um, we'll see. Is it okay? Oh yes. Um what do you think? Yeah, okay. So don't have that long at all. So um Okay. So I have to choose now of these questions. Um Um, uh, well, there's a couple about um, the ecological situation and the and the tremendous pain of that, and is it even possible for for that kind of uh, that kind of level of dukkha to to be soul making uh, to be insold? Um, Here's where I would go tie it to what I there was a reason I gave all that introduction, I wasn't just (laughs) getting lost, (coughs) but so here's a situation where there's an object, and the object is massive unprecedented species extinction, Um, and uh, the heartbreak of that, the not not just that, actually. The, the this because part of the object there is not just let's say species loss. It's also the um, sorry if I'm clumsy. Almost complete absence of commensurate response from humanity in relationship to it. So the object's already a complex one. Right, um, and then if we go back to what I se- said before, there's, so there's this object, and then there's also self in relation to the object. Now it may be, it may well be too much to ask. And someone wrote a note: Can the rape of a child be, be insulted, etc.? Um, someone might. Uh, so it's not your business to tell that child. Oh come on, you can dissolve you can this. That would be ridiculous. you know. Um, but it might be then that the imaginal and the soul-making goes more to the self-sense. Who am I and who will I be? And how do I sense myself with soul in relation to what's happening in the world? And that's in this self-other-world constellation, it starts there. And I might arise as the warrior, or the like. Joanna Macy talks about the midwife of whatever might be new, or the hospice worker. You know, but these are imaginal roles. The self in relation, and then and then the question. So can that fill out? And again, that's going to take a lot of emotional work and imaginal work. And then, what does that mean in terms of my duty, and how it manifests in the world? Like what of this image, if, the, if my image is a warrior, what does that mean? How does that refract into my actions? Does it mean I then go you know, become an eco-terrorist or something like that? Or does it refract in a, in a more uh, subtle way? But, but that image is driving me. Another important point here is that images are eternal. They're timeless. And that's, an imp- that's one, of the, one of the elements of the imaginal as well. Which means in relation to something like climate change or the ecological crises, um, you know, it's natural, it's normal to want to think about um, goals and time and ending. But in a way, that warrior is always fighting. Always uh, available, impassioned, dedicated—the imaginal warrior. Do you understand? And and that awareness of that eternality, as one example, um, gives the whole thing another level of resource, less dependent on the temporal outcomes, you can still care. You know, I I probably said this in a talk before. I heard that when the Titanic was sinking, uh, the ship, uh, cruise ship, whatever it was, was sinking, and there weren't enough lifeboats. They really hadn't planned very well. There weren't enough lifeboats. So uh, I don't quite know the story. Either the rich people got in the lifeboats or the women and children or the rich women and children or I don't know what it was, but um, a lot of people were left on board, ship sinking into icy waters, all the lifeboats gone. They knew they were dying, and they started singing hymns. Whatever, What year was that? Okay, so not quite the complete... Uh, well, um, not quite the... C- Complete eradication of any sense of religiosity in the culture, but um, so so they sang hymns. What the hell's the point? You're going to be dead in a minute. What's sort of good to do to sing a hymn? But it matters for soul. Were they singing a hymn in the hope that, well, oh, maybe God will let me into heaven, and I can, you know, it had nothing probably to do with that. It's like what matters. You know, of course it matters what happens with species loss. Of course it matters what happens with climate change. But there's something. On another level um, that the soul needs that it will do it wants to express it wants to reflect it wants something to come through it's it soul if we if we go back to the bigger sense Dominic soul is asking of the human being for something to come through that doesn't just have to do with outcomes and life and death do you understand so there's there's a you know there are other levels to this, and sometimes, especially I know there there are a lot of activists in this room. It's it's hard to not get um, pared down to to a sort of the concrete level only. So um, to allow those other dimensions of soul can be can be immensely resourceful, you know, for that kind of thing. Um, But it might be more in the sense of uh, self that the image arises, not in the sense of object, of the thing itself. Um, Diesel pollution in the UK, is that a soulful thing? I don't know, it stinks, you know, and it's really nasty. But in relationship to it, I can become something, it may be easier. Um, also in a way you know the sense of the earth, the species as sacred, the responsibility of the human being to other species, that's already a view, that's a, a potentially soulful view, if it's a, this is a sacred world can I prove that to anyone? no, it's a view, it's a, it's an idea It, but it's a soul view, again if we talk about self other world, I start with perhaps with the world, and the sacred world, and now this sacred world is being desecrated. And that can galvanize something. Um. not sure which questions to pick up, excuse me. Um. So I'm not quite sure why I'm picking it, but I've been working with a particular manifestation of Dukkha today with two images which feel to be on the opposite ends of some emotional spectrum. The first has qualities of compassion, tenderness, healing, and vulnerability. The second personifies a kind of transcendent not giving a fuck in a joyful, divine, punk kind of way. Previously, you've talked about bringing images into relationship with each other. I feel called to explore that here. Any advice would be appreciated. Um, Yeah. So again, I I would need to hear a lot more here. My initial response, my initial thought was, um, you know, some some images are not really in relationship with each other. So this is an interesting thing. Um Jung talked very much uh, or or seemed to stress very much in his teaching a kind of integration of the different archetypes and the different images um with the self and and with each other so that they come into balance and into dialogue and they kind of harmonize with each other. Um James Hillman um f- massively indebted and 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 respectful of Jung but kind of in the context of reacting to that a little bit, um, stress this idea that we have a polytheistic psyche, which means we're um, called in multiple directions that often are not congruent with each other. They pull us in impossibly, impossibly multiple directions. So I, I've sh- I think I've shared this before. Um, you know, I have a monk in me, I have a teacher in me, I have a musician in me. Uh, I have someone who just wants to serve. Uh, they cannot all exist at the same time, um, so that there is some impossibility there in terms of the soul's calling and being pulled and stretched in different directions. And there is some grief there. There is some dukkha, so that we we talk about a lot of the questions are about how dukkha. How, how dukkha can be made into soul and, and sort of help that way. But there's also a certain amount of dukkha that we're assenting to by by saying yes to soul-making. And if you're... If we're not up for that, then we're limiting the soul-making. And and it's possible that if we're not up for that, it's just because we haven't fallen in love with soul-making yet. It's possible it's just not our path, you know. But there's a certain amount of dukkha that soul-making brings. And if I if I allow the fullness of these pulls, so for instance, I have this, this, you know, it's like this god of music won't ever let me go. I haven't been a musician for years and years. It won't ever really let me go. And so there's grief sometimes with that and i realize i can't do that and this i'm pulled in two directions and i I can work with it imaginally and it can refract into my life and my practice and and my interactions in all kinds of ways but there's a certain amount of pain for me in in that impossibility i'm being pulled by soul and by the powers of soul which going back to what we said before bigger than i am this god of music is bigger than i am the God of Dharma is bigger than I am, the God of teaching is bigger than I am. I'm being pulled by gods in different directions. I'm not even trying to harmonize them or balance them or live some kind of balance. like well, I do a bit of this and I do a bit of that, and it's, it's kind of nice. Um, so there's uh, so my initial thought was, I, I wonder if these two uh, images need to that the person's alluding to need, need to come into contact with each other or if there's just a certain uh, incongruence and tension there. And that's part of what Hillman would call the polytheistic psyche. It's part, of the, it's part of the dukkha of soul-making. So there's an enormous amount of freedom that comes from soul-making and as I said, some freedoms that come from soul-making won't get opened up by any other any other way. And sometimes it comes with cost, it comes with, it comes with a pain, a price. Sometimes the price is in the duty. It might not be this pulling different directions. It might be this image is asking me of something. And as people were alluding to this with the meaningfulness uh, popcorn that we had. And that duty takes its toll in my life. It means a sacrifice, it means I, n- I can't do this or that or the other. Whatever it comes with a cost, but you have to decide what you want. So we should probably stop there, I guess. Yeah. Um. <sighs> Um, So, apologies for the questions I didn't get to. Um, Apologies if I wasn't so clear or bright or whatever, but um, hopefully it's helpful. Um, Let's sit for a moment and together, and then Catherine has an announcement.